In Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they purpose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. As we were talking about some of the things that happened earlier on with the fall and with the flood and those things, I know PJ asked me on the way out, she says, okay, I understand a lot of those things, but now what about all the different nationalities or races that we have around our world? What's the Bible say about those things? There are several things that happen at this time in history. We alluded to some of them already. You remember when we talked about the shortening of the lifespans. Lifespans about cut in half right after the flood. And we talked about how some of that was probably environmental changes. Other things would have been genetic changes as well. Every gene that we have also has different variations within our genetic information called alleles. And the more genetic information that we have, the more it overcomes disease, birth defects. And it's interesting that we see the lifespan cut in half right after the flood. We would have had an enormous gene pool and it would have been cut down to eight people. And so we would have lost a lot of genetic information as humanity at the time of the flood. Well, when we get to the Tower of Babel, we see a similar thing happen again because a big part of humanity is not going to die off, but it's going to be separated. And so each nation of people is going to lose the genetic information of all of the rest of humanity as they spread out in a practical sense. Right after where we quit reading, it goes back into the lineage again and follows Shem's line all the way up to Abraham. And one of the things that you notice is the lifespan again cuts in half. People are living into their 200s instead of their 400s. Before the flood, they were living up into the 900s. And so it cuts in half at the time of the flood. It cuts in half again right after the Tower of Babel. Then the lifespan obviously kind of keeps tapering down from there until it gets to in the 70s, as the Bible told us that it would be. So we've already alluded to some of the changes that would take place at the Tower of Babel. Now, as we look at it historically, I find it interesting that, again, just like the flood, just like creation, you've got a lot of people out there that just assume when they come to the, to the Bible that it's mythology. They just assume that these weren't real events that happening, that it was myths. And it was kind of interesting because I was reading in an encyclopedia about it and it was talking about that. Is this mythology or is it real? Because surely it's mythology to to see the nations of people that we all came from one family and then we're divided up after that and then the the languages were divided. But they said it has a, a touch of reality through it. Some of the things that they pointed out, they said the fact that it mentioned that they made bricks because it's dealing with the area of Mesopotamia is as they made bricks to make these buildings out of. And they said, you know, if you go back to Mesopotamia back at that time period, they used bricks. 
And it says that they used bitumen for mortar, and that's what they used back in Mesopotamia at that end. So it's very historically accurate. And there's several different factors that they mentioned that they said, boy, it just, it really looks like real history, but surely it's a myth. And so they, they, they stuck with their assumption that it was a myth, even though the facts and the details of the story added up. As we look around our world in a historical fashion, we find that these, what we call ziggurats, pop up all over the place. They're on different continents. They're in South America. They're in Mexico. They're in Egypt. They're in Asia. There's some in China. In fact, at least 30 different countries in the world have buildings that look very similar to this ziggurat that's on the screen before you right now. So similar that it's caused a lot of speculation. There was a show on the, I think it was the Discovery Channel, and I just happened over here a little bit. They said we've got these ancient buildings all over the earth that look like they had the same architect. And their answer to that was aliens. But, <laughs> but, but I thought, well, I think we have a simpler answer. The Tower of Babel, everybody was there, saw the Tower of Babel. So as they spread out, they just kept reproducing kind of the same building or similar buildings wherever they spread out to. And we see them all over the face of the world. Not only that, but we see, just as we did with the flood, All over the world, there are stories, just like there was of Noah's Ark and the rainbow and the flood in every culture in the world. Cultures all over our world have a story of the Tower of Babel. Why would we have that? Why would different people disconnected all have the same stories to tell about the flood and about the Tower of Babel? Well, it's because they weren't all divided up yet. They weren't all different peoples yet before the Tower of Babel. So... In history, we see many stories in different civilizations, uh, different cultures all over the world that have a story about the Tower of Babel, and they're remarkably similar. And the buildings are remarkably similar that we find all over the world as well. And so this all shouts to the fact that you can trust the reliability of the Bible, who to thunk, and what God recorded for us was absolutely true and did happen. Some of the proof of this is written in buildings and stories around the world. Some of it is found within the genes within your own body as you sit here and listen this morning. As we look at the Tower of Babel, I see that it answers about four different questions that plague humanity. In fact, some of the people that are commenting on the book of Genesis say, well, why would Moses write this stuff? And they feel that even the people that think that it was missed think that he did it to come up with answers to questions, questions about the world in which we live. And we all have these, these questions. The first question that it answers is, how do we get so many religions? And for some people, they, they decide that the answer is this. All the religions, since people are in different places all over the world, all the religions all point to the same God, but it's God communicating to them in their culture how to get to him. The Bible doesn't leave that as an option. The Bible is exclusive when it comes to its worship of God, Old Testament or New In the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. In the Old Testament, God says, you will have no other gods before me. You'll make no graven images. To worship a God that is not the God is not another path to God. It's what the Bible calls idolatry. It's a sin against God. The first three commands that he gives us all involve this one particular sin. So how did we get all these religions? Or usually the question comes up this way. Is God really fair that all those people that believe different things, even though they're sincere in their belief and they believe in some kind of God, is God really fair to not allow them into heaven? At one point in the world, actually at two different times in the world, 
Everybody on the world knew the truth. Time of Adam and Eve, they knew God. There was no question. Cain and Abel were raised knowing the God. Their descendants were raised knowing the true God, or at least having access to the information. But mankind quickly turned and started creating their own gods. We also think of, this, of the same thing with the time of Noah. At, when you think about it, when they get off the ark, there's only eight people in the world. And they all know who the true God is, and they all know what the truth is. But they turned. They obviously quickly turned and replaced God with gods that they made after their own image. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 1, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. But instead, what did they do? They made images. Some of the beasts and the creeping things that are on the world, and they worshipped those things. We already see the beginning of this, I think, alluded to in chapter 10. If you drop back into chapter 10, it talks about a man named Nimrod. And Nimrod builds a city. And what city does he build? Babel, where the tower is. He builds a city, and he starts to build the tower. And he's building an empire. And then he's going to build uh, the kingdom of Assyria. Also, he's building an empire. And it refers to him as the mighty hunter before the Lord. That, that is a phrase in the area in ancient times that was often used to refer to kings and royalty. It talks about staying together, keep everybody together instead of spreading out. Remember in Genesis 9-1, God said, spread out, fill up the earth. He said, no, let's keep everybody together. Then we can accomplish everything that we, meaning I probably for him, want to accomplish. And so they start building this tower. And it said the tower would build up into the heavens. Now that can be a reference to one of two things. It can be a reference just to the height of the tower. That's a possibility. But many people think that it's probably more than that. It was going to be a monument to their own greatness as they built themselves a name, as it says in chapter 11 here, and that it would be used for probably civil and religious purposes as well. And that's consistent with what we see around the world as it appears that these ziggurats had at the top of them had a temple that was used for worship of their God. The term Babel itself, the last part of it is the word El, which in Hebrew, it always was a reference to God. El means God. And then Babel means the gate. Some people think that it has a connection to a Hebrew word that means uh, just kind of confusion. But I think it's more likely a connection to an Assyrian word that means gate. And so it could be that this Tower of Babel is looked at as the gateway to God. And so it was used as religious purposes around the world as you see those things built in these different places. And so you see very, not very far after Noah, mankind is already rebelling against God, make their own forms of worship, going to start worshiping other gods. Mankind just has that sinful, that depraved nature in them that we try to fashion gods after our image instead of recognizing that we're fashioned after his. We try to create gods that, to be what we want them to be instead of learning from God what he is. So how do we get all these religions around the world? Man creates them. And so we find many religions. That is answered for in the Tower of Babel. Why would we have different religions? Well, because there's a tendency in mankind to rebel, but yet stay religious. And so as mankind is, broke, mankind is broken up and spread over the earth, he just continues to do a lot of the same. How did we get so many languages? If you're not going to take this as an answer to that, I don't know what you do. And when you look at the different languages, 
you know, Chinese and, and French and English and Spanish. And there, obviously there's a lot of languages that have continued to kind of adapt and change a little bit, but there's a lot of languages that just seem to be fundamentally different. And you're like, how would that language have morphed off into that? that don't, they don't even sound similar. In fact, you have people of this language have a hard time moving their mouth the same way as that way from over the years. And so there's a definite change. But how did we get all these different languages? Well, the Tower of Babel answers that. In fact, the Bible also looks forward to a time when we go back to one language at the kingdom of Christ. In Zephaniah Chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him. Because we rebelled against God, God divided the languages in order to divide the people. When we all are judged and God's people stand before Him as one, we will go back to having one language. Where did all the religions of the world come from? We can see how that happened pretty easily, beginning with Nimrod. Secondly, uh, where do all the languages come from? Thirdly, how do we get so many people groups? And this is probably the biggest one people ask because it, it seems so visible to us. The Bible is very clear that we had our beginning in one ancestor, Adam. And then we have a kind of a new beginning in one ancestor, Noah, and his wife. And so we have uh, basically, as the Bible calls it, one blood. It's reinforces that in other places. It tells us earlier in Genesis that we all came from Noah and his sons. It makes it very clear. Acts chapter 17, it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. The Bible indicates over and over again that we all come from one ancestor, Adam. Science teaches us the same thing. As we look at science, it reinforces what the Bible says. And, and it's so awesome to live in this time period because as technology increases, it really gets less and less room for people to doubt the truth of the Word of God. It's an awesome thing. J.C. Guten, who wrote an article called The End of the Rainbow, he says, if one were to take any two people anywhere in the world, scientists have found that the basic genetic differences between those two people would typically be around 0.2% even if they came from the same people group. So in other words, as you look around the, the world, all the different things, what do we find? We find people of different colors. We have people of different eye shapes. People maybe a little bit different hair. Small differences. But to us, they're the differences that are visible. So they seem like large differences. But the fact of the matter is, it's not a big difference. He said if you take two people from anywhere on the world, different people groups or even within the same people groups, you will find that those two people tend to differ from one another genetically at 0.2%. S.C. Cameron and S.M. Wyckoff wrote on the destructive nature of the term race, and they said, but these so-called racial characteristics that people think are major differences account for only 0.012% of human biological variation. Dr. Harold Page Freeman said the same thing that our differences genetically between one another, 0.01. So it's the same number that he came up with, the other guy came up with before. The point is that if you take any two people in the world, they're going to vary genetically at a degree of about 0.2%. But if you take the genetic differences that we're used to looking at, the skin color, eye colors, eye shapes, those kinds of things, those are only a difference in, in our genetics of 0.012. 
In other words, the difference that we have from one another as two individuals is greater than the difference that lies between the races or between the people groups. That means if I was somewhere else other than Little Fork where we have more variety of people, I might be sitting in a pew next to a guy who's very dark-skinned. I'm very light-skinned. I sunburn easily. I could be sitting next to a guy that is very dark-skinned, and you know what? I might have more in common with him genetically than I have with you. The genetic differences that we look at as the, the skin color and those kinds of things are minute, 0.012 of a percentage of difference between the races. But the genetic difference that we can have between ourselves individually is 0.2%. So the amount of differences that I have genetically from you might be greater difference than I have next to a guy that I would look at as very different from me. Some people have said that it's the, the criteria that we look at that people use for race are basically entirely on external features that we are programmed to recognize. In other words, we look at these people as different, not because they are very different, there are differences between people, but they're usually cultural differences. But the genetic differences are so small. Science establishes that we are one race of people. In fact, uh, I would agree with one scientist that said, well, actually several of them, that said, you know what, we really need to get away from the word race. We are the human race. That's who we are. Within the human race, there's variability. There's, they're going to have a difference of, of skin colors and things like that that are going to stand out. But we are the human race. We are, we are one. Back in 2000, they did a report on mapping the human genome. Those working on mapping the human genome announced that they had put together a draft of the entire sequence of the human genome. And the researchers had unanimously declared there's only one race, the human race. And so genetically, it's provable that we all come from the same ancestors, we are humans, and, and especially if you get off into looking into what the possibilities of evolution are, even, you even have many scientists today that are saying, you know what, there's not enough possibility that we could come from nothing to what we are within our world. It must have been planted here by something else. And so they're following different theories of, of someplace else, some other world seeding the earth with life in order to get life, because the chances of life are so small. And so I do find it ironic that we have one place in the whole world that we know that there's life and it's right here. And we're going to assume that it came here from somewhere else. <laughs> Just because it happening all on its own is unthinkable. It's not possible. So when you think about that, in order to have people evolve in different places all over the world at the same time, it compounds the impossibility of evolutionary chances. It's just not possible. So the only answer, really at this point, genetically and biblically, is we all come from the same ancestors. We all come from Noah and his family. But we do have the differences. Why does each area have seemingly differences? Well, it's easily ascribed to the Tower of Babel. When you take the gene pool and you divide it up, different genetic characteristics are going to be common. Notice how he divided it up. He divided it up by the families. He divided it into languages by the families, and so the families moved to different, and they became nations. And so as they spoke their language, they stuck to their people group. And within that people group, since you're now segregated, you're going to have dominant genes that are going to become very strong. In my family, everybody I know all through history is blue-eyed. In fact, we always joked with the kids, you can't marry anybody that doesn't have blue eyes, because we all have blue eyes. We don't really care what color their eyes are, but we just kind of joked with it. But you know what? We have similar. Why? Because we're in a 
small pool. Even within America, we're supposed to be the melting pot of society. What happens when you go to every city? They have their kind of little China section, and they have their and they have their African American section, and even the cities of people people kind of stick to themselves. They kind of we're still divided, even in the same cities in our country. Probably the easiest way to see this is to watch it in reverse, because we weren't there when the Tower of Babel happened to see it happen. Fast forward, but let's watch it in reverse. If you take a black man and a very light colored woman, what are their kids going to be? Typically, right in the middle. What's just happened? You've started to desegregate the society. You've started to take people with more variables to their genetic information, and now they're going to come together, and then it's going to affect the children. And then the children, what are the possibilities for their children? When they have children, their children could be middle-colored skin. They could be very light-colored skin. They could be very dark-colored skin because now they have the genetic information within them for all of it. Within two generations, we could be back to what we had before the Tower of Babel. And so it just, that shows, that proves that this, the Tower of Babel would absolutely give us those characteristics. And then characteristics would become dominant because of health issues. Back in the day, before we lived with heating and cooling and things like that in our societies, if you were very light-skinned and you lived in a, in a very hot environment, you didn't fare very well. In fact, I was reading a little bit on it yesterday and was talking about even there would even be uh, potentially birth defects caused by in pregnant women because of the heat and the excess sunlight that they would experience. When you take very dark people and put them in colder areas and areas where they don't have the sunlight as much, then because their body is built to protect them from that sunlight more, then they don't get the vitamin D that they need. So they get things like rickets and their bone uh, density is weaker. In those kind of things. So they become less healthy. And so become, the society ends up forming. And what does a society do? The society sees what is more healthy. And the more healthy people are going to have more children. And not only, not only that, but the more healthy people are going to be more attractive within the society. And so it's going to affect the society. And so it's going to get more and more limited. Now there is some examples of the exception. For example, the Inuit people live up in the north in cold regions. But they're very dark-skinned people. But there's an answer to that. They live on the coastal lands and they feed primarily on fish, which is high in vitamin D. And so those, those things wouldn't affect them. And so their gene pools continue to allow for the darker skin to dominate within that society. And so the point is, when you look at it genetically, the information is there. In fact, I, I'd say the, the book is, though they'll continue to study it, I'd say probably closed, that we are all of the same family. We are all the human race and that we get our variations or our distinctiveness because we divided up the gene pool and that impacted our individual people groups. We see some amazing exceptions within our skin color. I googled like uh, people having children with different skin color than their own and I found pictures of different families that are out there that are all, this is all within one family, a very dark, very dark skinned family have one baby that is just very, very white. But some of these things I, I read articles on back at the time, and with DNA testing and everything, they established, yeah, that's, that's definitely from those two people. Also a light, very light-skinned family having a very dark-skinned baby. If we find it within siblings also, where brothers and sisters would, 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 would show up to be different colors, and even among twins, even among twins you can have a distinction now keep in mind what we've already learned, skin color, minute genetic difference. 
It's actually, there's only about two different things involved in skin color. One deals with the yellows and the reds and the other the blacks and the browns. And it's just a, how much of it you have in you. It's not a matter of having a different thing. It's just having more of the same thing within you. But uh, dealing with twins and things even within the family so we can see that with, even within a family there can be, we can see quite a bit of the difference that we look at across the world. It's easily explained in the Tower of Babel. If you divide the gene pool, that's just what you get. And that is what happened. Well, the last question that we have then is, where do we go from here? And with this, I'm talking about redemption. Because we've seen from back at the beginning, we've kind of seen Adam and Eve created in innocence, fell into sin, and we see the curse. We see Abel living for God, Cain not bringing further curse. We see the whole society grow more and more to the ways of Cain, bringing judgment. And then we see the salvation provided through the ark. And then now we see mankind again already starting to rebel against God, not spread out and do what He told them to do, but to try to hang together and accomplish whatever they wanted, make a name for themselves instead of bringing honor and glory to God. And what happens? Judgment. Okay, well, what about the old promise of the, of the serpent getting its head crushed by the seed of the woman? Where do we go from here with redemption? That's exactly what the rest of the chapter covers. Then the chapter 9 brought us to the curse upon Canaan. And we're seeing the curse of Canaan in chapter 10 start to take root. And Nimrod starts to build this tower and this city and to rebel against God. We're seeing the curse of Canaan in the descendants of Canaan. And they build the Tower of Babel. But then God is going to disperse the people from Babel. And in the rest of chapter 11, what we find is a lineage from Shem. Remember, Shem was blessed by God. The rest of chapter 11 beats its feet for one person, Abraham. Now that the world is spread out, God is going to take Shem, whom he's blessed. He's going to take Shem and he's going to take one of his descendants and he's going to take a man named Abraham and he's going to call Abraham. And he says, through you, I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. What we're finding is the next major step in the history of redemption. That God is determined to provide redemption for mankind. Now, since the world is going to be divided into many people groups all over the face of the world, he's going to pick one person, make that person a nation, and bless the entire world through that one person. And that's the Abraham that God would call to offer his son Isaac up for a sacrifice and then at the last minute tell him never mind and provide a lamb instead, giving a picture of one of his other descendants, Jesus Christ, that would be offered up as a sacrifice for us, paying for our sin and giving us the forgiveness of sin. And that's what the rest of chapter 11 does, is it just aims at Abraham. And it goes a little more detail on the genealogy than it did in chapter 10. It's the same genealogy, a little more detail. Added some years in there and stuff. But it's aimed right at Abraham, and that's where it comes to rest. Where do we go from here? Abraham. What's God going to do with Abraham? He's going to give him a promise. Here's the promise. I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the world as we continue to follow the path of redemption. You know, it's because of our one family that salvation is extended to everybody. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 
Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then a few verses later it says, For it... For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. It's because... Adam's our father that sinned, that we inherit sin. And it's because that Jesus Christ is also a descendant of Adam that he could overcome that sin. And so if we had many people groups with many different origins, there would not be a universal salvation that could reach to all mankind either.